a podcast where we discuss film, TV, and other cinematic elements. I'm Ellen. And I'm Olivia. And we're looking forward to another great episode today. Olivia, what are we watching? Yeah, yeah, this was my week to pick, and so I chose the 2018 Wes Anderson film, Isle of Dogs, which is our first animation film we will be covering, and it includes stop-motion animation, which is a pretty cool thing. In my opinion, and I'm sure, Ellen, you agree. But, um, so let me give you guys a little brief synopsis of what the film is about. Here we go. When, by executive decree, all the canine pets of Megasaki City are exiled to a vast garbage dump called Trash Island, 12-year-old Atari sets off alone in a miniature junior turbo prop and flies across the river in search of his bodyguards, bodyguard dog, Spots. There, with the assistance of a pack of newly found mongrel friends, he begins an epic journey that will decide the fate and future of the entire prefecture. So it's kind of, it's a comedy adventure movie. It's an hour and 45 minutes, and it's it's featured on Disney Plus right now, so if any of you folks out there have Disney Plus, I highly recommend watching this movie, and most of, mostly all of Wes Anderson's work. I think he's pretty cool. What about you, L? I agree. He has such unique, cool stuff, and I I haven't seen a ton of what he's done, but everything I've seen I've really liked. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's He's got a very unique style of filmmaking, which is what makes him stand out from the rest, I'd have to say. Do we have anything we want to cover from uh, just to let the fans know, or should we... Jump right in. What do you think? Let's jump right in. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, me too. All right, we'll start a, start it off today with some cinematography, and I'll kick it off for us. Um, so obviously, since this is a stop-motion animation film, the cinematography is a little bit different just because we're working with models and kind of not a real live-action cast. So I think the, well, obviously the cinematography is a lot more strenuous this time around because, I mean, you take what, like seconds of clips, less than that, and put it all together just to get one motion. And it's just, oh, it's just an intense amount of um, patience and, you know, dedication to the film to get a film like this created. I mean, an hour and 45 minutes of stop motion is pretty impressive, especially this high level of it. Like, this film it has, like, one of the highest, in my opinion, like, most detailed and cool-looking, you know, set and characters. And even, like, the, um... Not the authenticity, but the real the realism of... Like, the dogs, like, the fur, the people, like, the tear, you know, all of that, like, I think is captured beautifully. And with, like, the stop-motion film, I think Wes Anderson obviously still 
has his signature type of shots, his use of symmetry and, and his center shots where he just, you know, has his subjects right in the middle of the frame. He's pretty famous for those types of shots. He loves just, you know, I want, it's not, I don't think it's basic. People might say it's basic to just have in the middle, but not a lot of people use that like through the their whole film, but he is pretty famous for it. So I think that Wes and his cinematographer capture that beautifully well. What do you have, Elle? Yeah, I thought it was really incredible. I kept on thinking throughout how much patience it's got to take to make something like that. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I read a little bit about like the world building of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's set in, like, 60s Japan, like you mentioned. Okay. And apparently they created the entire universe with 240 micro sets, or 240 of those little sets that they built by Holy hand. Holy crap. So yeah. we talked about, like, the dust clouds are made of cotton wool, and then um, the waves of water were from sheets of plastic wrap. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's kind of – that's really cool that you looked into that a little more. Um this movie is nothing like this movie, but it kind of reminds me of In Hereditary, which I watched last night. But um, the mom, she builds these like miniatures and it kind of, I guess that's kind of what goes into the production of a stop motion animation is kind of like those kinds of little sets and those people, like the characters and the tedious amount of work that goes into that. Mm-hmm. She's really on her way. Yeah, yeah. Stop Surprise! She's actually the creator of Isle of Dogs. <laughs> That's what she was working on <laughs> the whole movie. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's insane that that's how many little sets they had. Plus, with the characters, like some of the characters, I mean, they change in appearance. I'm curious about how many. You know, for one character, how many different characters do do they have for that one, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a great point. I'm sure it was a ton of them. I'm sure. Okay, well. actually, <laughs> there's one thing that I saw on this. Um, there were a thousand puppets made for this movie. Okay. <laughs> 500 dogs and 500 humans. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's insane. So, it says, um, because they were made in five different scales, Okay. Uh, each hero puppet took about 16 weeks to build. Holy. <laughs> oh, my. That's probably, they probably had a large team then working on all of these. But, like, you have to imagine, like, different artists aren't, you know, aren't as strong in some aspects and, like, have different styles, so, like, Getting a bunch of artists to work on the same project to make it look, you know, accurately the same across the board is probably a challenge in its own. Yeah, that's a great point. And making sure everyone is kind of on the same page about what the style and the end goal is going to be would be a really big challenge. Yeah, definitely. Um, Um, Oh, go ahead. One one more thing I wanted to bring up is just, I was thinking, we were talking about... um, the fantastic Mr. Fox earlier, mm-hmm. another stop motion Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me 
it just I was thinking about the colors in it specifically because yeah. they're very different than in the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, those ones are a lot more like fall colors. These are a lot more like grayish. Yeah, desaturated, I guess. Yeah, it's it's not as I think Wes Anderson is also known for his like pastels. For instance, like Moonrise Kingdom, um, Grand Budapest, his upcoming film, The French Dispatch, they all have these like dulled pastel blues, yellows, greens, reds. And Eye of Dogs is more of like, yeah, like you said, neutral, browns, grays, black. So it's a little switch up for, for Old West. But um, yeah, anyway, back to the cinematography. Um, I mean, I recommend watching even just like a little intro or a little YouTube video about how stop motion, what it looks like when it's being made, because it's incredible. Like the amount of patience these people have, they set the character, they hit play for like a millisecond on the camera, walk back, um, change the character, like, like minuscule, like amounts, tiny, tiny little amounts, because if you do too much, then it looks choppy, you know, and not as smooth. But I, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I didn't see really one flaw in the filming here in this film. What about you? Wow. No, I didn't. I want to go look up that, um, that different version of how it's made, I guess, the video of it. Yeah. I think they have a, I think they have one about this movie, Isle Dogs. Like, uh, how they created the characters, I saw a YouTube video, but, so, yeah, that's a, that's something to look into, everyone. If you want to inquire a little more, obviously we can't show you videos, this is a podcast, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I recommend that. Um, do you have anything else on the cinematography? Nope, I think I covered everything I wanted to cover. All right, all right, let's move on to, uh, direction then, and I'll start off, so... We're, we're dealing with old Wes Anderson, and I can get a little background information about him. So he is an American film director, screenwriter, and producer, and he's from um, Houston, Texas. He doesn't... Oh my gosh, he's 51 years old. I thought he was younger than that. Doesn't he look younger than that? Yeah, I think he's got a young face. He really does. I think his longer hair also helps <laughs> but uh yeah and his films are are really well known for symmetry um their visual and narrative styles and and he is a classic exa- example of an auteur which for all you film lovers who don't know what that means the auteur comes from the famous french film movement the Nouvelle Vague or the French New Wave. So what happened in that um, was these directors came out with a new style of filming that was um, a lot more artistic. And um, what what the auteur really means, it comes from the auteur theory, which is um, a, a filmmaker has traits that appear in um, all of their his or her films. Or their films um, that pop up and it's recognizable. It's like you watch a film, you're like, okay, that's a Wes Anderson film. 
that's a Martin Scorsese film. Like that's a Francois Truffaut film. And it's it's easy to to see the stylistic traits within the work of these directors. And another thing is that these directors usually use the same. We I think we talked about it a little bit last episode with Martin Scorsese, how he uses kind of the same actors, the same crew, and that's kind of how Wes Anderson functions. He uses the same actors in lots of his films. I mean, Bill Murray is in pretty much all of his films. Uh, Owen Wilson, you know, all those guys. Scarlett Johansson. Um, Jason Schwartzman is in a lot of his films, yeah, too. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. He, he was in Fantastic Mr. Fox. If I He's the son, I think. Mm. But yeah, I mean, he's the classic... Um, example of an auteur in American cinema. I mean, this comes from Europe, from France specifically, where we have the young wolves of France, Truffaut, Romare, um, Godard, all those people, and, and even women, like Agnès Varda, for example. But um, yeah, Wes is, is a classic. Um, you watch one of his films, you instantly know it's his. Like, would you agree there, Ellen? Yeah, like, I'm not even that, um, I wouldn't say that I know that much about film, like, especially compared to you, <laughs> but, like, I can even see that he has a very signature style, I can yeah. tell, for sure, if it was him. Yeah, and even with with his shots, he, like, his style of shooting as well, like, like I said before, the centered shots and the, um, uh, what am I saying? The symmetry of the shots, that is like his his thing, um, and it's it's very recognizable. But yeah, anyway, um, some of his no- most notable films are the Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think is probably his most famous, next to Moonrise Kingdom, The Royal Tenenbaums. Fantastic Mr. Fox. I mean, he's got a quite the impressive discography. Rushmore, Life Aquatic. I, I'm so excited for the French Dispatch. It was supposed to come out last year. But unfortunately, you know, Corona times, it got pushed. It got pushed again. Maybe this summer it'll come out, but I think it, it just got pushed to the fall. So I don't know. No. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Sersha's in that one too. Sersha, yeah. She, he, she's been... She you know, in, we love Sersha yeah. on this podcast. You know. We are Sersha stands here. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, the French Dispatch is supposed to be pretty, pretty peak performance. And, and I mean, he he's remarkable as a director. I can't really... I don't really think I have any complaints do you, have, okay. do you have anything you want to say about old Wessie boy? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, hearing you talk about him, it kind of made me think, um, compared to our last episode when we talked about Martin, mm-hmm. it seems like both of them are just very involved in making, having the making of the movie be an actual, like, experience, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Like, we watched that interview with him and some of the actors, and that's what Bill Murray was saying. And, like you were saying with Martin, how he doesn't let them have any scripts because he wants them to be present and engaged. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was an interesting connection. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Wes is is pretty pretty cool. He's a, if you haven't seen any Wes Anderson films, you need to watch one at least before you die. I, <laughs> but um, I highly recommend. Yeah. Do you have any particular films of his that you would recommend to a listener who was just getting started? Yeah. Just heard of Wes Anderson? Yeah. Um, I think you should definitely check out um, Moonrise Kingdom. That's It's more of a family. Here, I can read a little description about that. It's a romance drama, and it, here's a little synopsis of it. It's... The year is 1965, and the residents of uh, New Penzance, an island off the coast of New England, inhabit a community that seems untouched by some of the bad things going on in the rest of the world. 12-year-old Sam and Susie have fallen in love and decided and decide to run away, but a violent storm is approaching the island, forcing a group of quirky adults, who are Bruce Willis, Edward Norton, and Bill Murray, to mobilize a search party and find the youths before calamity strikes. So that's kind of a cool little love story, but also, um, you know, it's a drama as well. And obviously, I'd say probably first maybe watch Grand Budapest and then maybe venture off to his earlier films. Like The Royal Tannenbaums is from 2001 that has like Ben Stiller. And um, so, you know, it's kind of a quirky one, Owen Wilson. Um, But Grand Budapest is like really highly regarded in the film world and I think most people would like it but I'd say watch Grand Budapest, Moonrise Kingdom and then Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox even but yeah <laughs> have you seen have you seen any others besides Fantastic and Isle of Dogs I have seen Moonrise Kingdom too I liked that one a lot Yeah Yeah that one that one's a good one Mm-hmm. So it's very quirky, just yeah. like Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, for sure, he's a very quirky guy. Um, he he's like friends with a lot of current American mm-hmm. film directors. He's like besties with Noah Baumbach, the director of Marriage Story, who is partners with Greta Gerwig, directors of Little uh, Little Women and Lady Bird, and she's also an actress. So. The community that they're in, all these directors, actresses, and Sofia Coppola even, and Roman Coppola, um, offspring of uh, Francis Ford Coppola, creator of the Godfather movies. Um, so this uh, this community is pretty strong, I'd say, artistically in the film world. I mean, you can't really go wrong with any of these people's films. But yeah, I mean, Wes is a pretty standout director, in my opinion, and... American cinema and and international. He makes he makes waves, you know, overseas for, in like Cannes film festivals and all those other ones um, in Europe, Asia, all of that. So, yeah, Interesting. yeah. Got anything else on Wes? No. All right, let's move on to uh, the editing. So, since it's a stop motion film. Um, the editing is pretty crucial, I'd say, because one, putting all, I mean, I can't even imagine the size of the files of (laughs) all these editing clips. I mean, putting together so many shots for one movement, I'm, I'm, I mean, the editing must take 
year, like couple years maybe to, to finalize. Um, unless they're, you know, rushing, but, um, I think like in all of his other films, this film also has kind of quick cuts and quick, um, kind of snappy shots. It makes it feel like the camera's just snapping across to like a different character's reaction. And I really think that's a, a big trait of his films. So the editor really included that in here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very clean. It's very clean cut, which I think is like of the nature of Wes's films. Um, but yeah, what do you, do you have anything to add to that? I'm gonna look up who the editor is quick. I guess one thing that came to mind is that shot that you pointed out to me while we were watching the um, the one where they were making sushi. Yeah. And thinking about like the editing involved with that, mm -hmm. um, like putting it together so it looks realistic and whatnot. That that must have been really intricate and hard to do. Yeah. There were actually three editors on this project: Edward Bursch, Andrew. Wisebloom and Ralph Foster. So I imagine it needed at least three editors. I'm sure there were, I mean, there, there were assistant editors that helped as well, but, um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, that sushi scene, I've seen, um, I follow like a bunch of film Instagrams and stuff. And that's like one that comes up like for cinematography and editing, like how cleanly cut and cool that scene looks. What do you... What did you think about it? I thought it was super cool. I don't know. It was just very satisfying to watch. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, one thing I also read is that the longest take that had to be like edited together was nearly a minute. Oh, wow. So that was when the, the main dog, Chief, is talking about his favorite food, chili. <laughs> and like telling that whole story to the other dogs and yeah. to Atari. Isn't it like, yeah, it's kind of a slow zoom in on him, his face, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very nostalgic <laughs> feel. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't like flashback or anything either. It goes straight just on him telling the story. And you don't even need a flashback because you can picture it how like the dialogue is so well written that you don't even need a flashback there. So. Mm hmm. But yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's all I have on editing. What about you? Yeah, me too. How about we move on to special effects? Ooh, let's do it. Special effects is interesting for this movie because it's not the usual. The whole thing is basically an effect. <laughs> True. Um, but it was very impressive overall, I thought. Yeah. I don't have too much to add on this one details-wise. Yeah, I think we already covered some details already, like, talking about cinematography. Oh, excuse yeah. me. I think one of the things that stand out to me about kind of the special effects of this was what I said earlier with um, the hair and, like, the fur of the dogs. I thought it was, like, so realistic-looking, like, the way they made that. And also, there's a lot of, like, blood and stuff in this movie like splatters like it was really realistic mm -hmm. and i really so enjoyed I that. that um for instance uh 
like the dogs fight and someone gets their ears ripped off or ear ripped off and there's like blood and then later on that surgery scene <laughs> the blood just like drips over the like drape i was like wow we're not shying away this film definitely does not shy away from uh vi- like violence and kind of uh double entendre of kind of sexual scenes between the dogs through dialogue but like obviously kids won't really get it but adults there is there's a lot of adult humor in here yeah which i really enjoy i think wes makes it films for all people and and you can like connect in a different way you know yeah i would agree with that there's a lot in here for both kids and adults yeah for sure but yeah, I mean, my first time watching this was last week, and I, I was like, Ellen, we have to do this one. Um, we've been wanting to do an animation, right? We've been talking about it for months, but yeah. I'm glad we finally uh, got one under our belt here, because animation is really, of course, at the highest level of cinema as well as um, live action. Mm-hmm. It's it's can convey you know, strong themes, emotional, physical, and intellectual, and there's a stigma, I think, around animation being just for kids, or, like, you know... Lower art just, forms. Yeah, lower things. art forms, and, and, I mean, look at Miyazaki's work, look at, you know, these Wes Anderson animations, and it's just incredible, the special effects, everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, to your point about the fur looking so realistic, Yeah. Um, apparently it was repurposed alpaca and merino wool. Oh my. Um, and then they used resin for the human puppets, like for their skin. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, they were pretty shiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I thought that was super cool, and that I don't really think I have any more uh, on the special effects. I think we covered most, but... Alright, sounds good. How about we move on to voice acting this time? Voice acting, let's let's get it. <laughs> you know, there are some really amazing recognizable voices in this. Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, Edward Norton. There's just so many and I feel like it it makes it a lot of fun. Oh, I can't forget Brian Cranston. He has a <laughs> great part in it too. Mm-hmm. Um it makes it a lot of fun to listen to. And yeah. they did a great job with it. I think they brought out the emotion, even though it's dogs. <laughs> Agreed. Even the human characters as well. Mm-hmm. I thought it was super cool how they translated what the dogs were saying. But, okay, so so in the film, it takes place in Japan. So we have, obviously, we have... Um, Japanese characters in here speaking in, you know, their native language, Japanese. Um, But I really love how there's just, it's not trans, I mean, there is a part where Frances McDormand is this reporter and she's kind of translating into English, but like not all of the Japanese um, dialogue is is translated and there's no subtitles with it. And I think that's super cool. Mm -hmm. I really agree. I thought that was an interesting choice to make yeah um as far as the part about it being set in japan like that this is a little bit of a tangent but um i think it was 
I read it a couple of times people were saying like this is not really <laughs> obviously an accurate reflection of Japan mm -hmm. at all but it is kind of like a good fable Japan like yeah Japan that has been represented in stories kind of thing yeah 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 for sure and we have to obviously account that it's not present Japan it's 1960s a take on the 1960s not not necessarily the most accurate but right. it's not modern Japan so and it's about talking dogs too, yeah yeah so. <laughs> but is it is it really just only about talking dogs Ellen you're right, you're right. I'm oversimplifying it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, I mean, to go off that point, um, obviously the story, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say on a kid level, but because kids can understand, you know, deeper themes. It, they're not stupid. Kids are smart. And obviously this film is, is more than, you know, about bad dogs and, and dogs with disease. It's it's about alienation of a certain kind of of people or species and, and a lot of historical um, instances can be related to this. I mean, it's pretty obvious they, they send them to a, a trash island, literally trash island, treat them like crap, don't give them any food, anything. They all are sick. So I think... Despite their friendship yeah. over the years. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite the uh, take on, on a lot of historical events, sad, tragic historical events, and kind of, you know, getting people to think about those events in a different way. And I really mm -hmm. think that's a super cool message and theme that Wes covers in this film. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, who was who's your favorite character in the movie? I'm curious. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. Okay, let's do top three. <laughs> okay, um, I would say Duke, played by Jeff Goldblum, is definitely in it. It's a funny character, mm -hmm. kind of a comedic relief dog. Yeah. Like gossiping. Yeah. Um. And just the fact that it's Jeff Goldblum makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, Scarlett Johansson's character, <laughs> yeah. Nutmeg, that little dog. She's a powerful woman dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I guess just the main dog, Chief. I liked, yeah. I liked him a lot, too. How about you? Yeah, I'd say not really in a specific order. Mine are... Um, Ugh, I don't know if I can just pick three. Um, Chief, for sure, because he has a really good character arc, obviously. Um, and I love Brian Cranston. <laughs> yes. um, I really like uh, Rex, Edward Norton's character, who was okay. kind of like, he was like the, the second alpha. You know, he was kind of yeah. like, We're, we will vote against you. Like, <laughs> um, he was kind of pretty a pretty comedic character. And I really like, obviously, Tracy Walker played by Greta Gerwig. I think it was, like, her voice was perfect for that character. Mm -hmm. And obviously... You can't deny Greta. You can't. You can't. <laughs> you can't. It's, I mean, come on. She, she's an amazing actress and director, so... But yeah, I think I think it, her character was pretty intense, but also... I mean, she said it was, like, the realist character. She just said what exactly 
the opposite of what the plot, you know, like the real plot. Like she was the character who brought to life that like what the movie was actually about, like <laughs> propaganda and <laughs> the alienation of another species or a type of person, you know. So I, I kind of thought that was cool how they, like, have all these different characters bringing to light these different messages. And I also loved The Oracle by Tilda Swinton. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, iconic. <laughs> uh, I forgot about them. I liked Jupiter, too, Oracle's counterpart. Yeah. Very yeah. classy dog. I guess I also have to give props to the little, the young man who played Atari, the, the, the little pilot. Um, Koyu Rankin, he did amazing. It was, Mm -hmm. it was really awesome, so. Do you know if he's been in other things, You know what, let me, let me check that quick. Let's see. He's such a cute little kid. Yeah, he's only 14 years old. It looks like only Isle of Dogs he has right now. Okay. He's still got a long life ahead of him. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, a runner-up also is Frances McDormand's interpreter character. Mm. She She's just a wonderful woman, and I really enjoy her voice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something about it. She's just, like, so, like, super cool, and I like the way she articulates things. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, okay, like... More. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to no, also ahead. give a shout-out to Kenichi. Oh, yes, yeah, duh who had an amazing voice for the evil mayor guy. Yeah, Mayor Kobayashi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we just watched actually a, a little interview together about how um, he Wes says that uh, Kunichi has a really low voice and how he, like, it was kind of a little video of an interview and he was... Uh, Kanichi was talking about how Wes directed him to go lower and, and go faster. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, he, I liked, even though it was like not the, not the most um, positive character, I thought it was really well played. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Do you have anything else to talk about with the acting? Um, you know, not really. I think we're good. All right. Let's move on to our final category, the score. My personal favorite category. Oh, yeah. Yes. I would say this is a really good score. Obviously, it's it's Alex. I guess I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but Alexander Displa. I think it's uh, Alexand. Alexand. He he did the music for Little Women. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I oftentimes, when I'm working on something, I just look him up and I listen to all of his music because he has so much amazing soundtrack music. Truly. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend if you're looking for some some good study or work music, mm-hmm. check it out. He's done The Imitation Game. He's done Fantastic Mr. Fox. He's done Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Um, Little Women, like you mentioned. He he must be, like I was talking about earlier, like how these directors use the same people. 
Like, for instance, the Coen brothers, all of their scores are composed by Carter Burwell. Um, Steven Spielberg uses, you know, uh, oh my gosh, why am I? John Williams, duh. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I blanked <laughs> on John Williams. Wow. But he uses him, so I maybe, like, I guess I'm, I'm just assuming here, Wes, you know, Greta, they use, all use Alexandre, Alexandre, but, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the Danish girl. Oh, yes. Love that one. Um, yeah. But it was a great score for the film, I think. Yeah. What do you think? So, yeah, what? let's cover some of the songs, Ellen. Um, do you want to start it off there? Yeah. So, one of the important songs in it, and this one is actually not, um, it's not the main um, score director's Oh my god, I can't miss it again. <laughs> it's okay. What is the word? The main what? composer. Oh my god. Composer. We're yeah. stupid. Okay. okay. Alright, so the first one we should talk about is Tycho Drumming. And this one isn't actually made by the uh, main composer, Alexander. It's by Ko- Kauro Watanabe. And I'm sorry for butchering that name. Kauro, yeah. Watanabe. Yes, Watanabe, that's right. Um, So this is just played at the beginning and the end, and it's kind of a, sets the tone for the movie, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, definitely does. Uh, what the music will be like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like super important to the plot, but like, yeah, it's opening and ending. So you hear it at the beginning and the end, which is pretty important for a track, I'd have to say. Mm-hmm. Um... We'll play a little bit of that later on, but um, the next song we want to talk about is kind of the 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 dog the dog pack theme. It's called the Hero Pack, and that's by the main composer Alexandre uh, Dupla. Dupla, I think. I don't know. I'm, I'm taking French right now. <laughs> Philippe would probably be very disappointed in me, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So this song, um, well, let's just uh, let's do a little listen here. Ready? Here's a little clip of that. All right, so yeah, that that was a little clip of that one. Um, you can tell it it kind of has a, a dog pack type sound like a mischievous, um, kind of darker tone, but mm-hmm. yeah, you hear that when the dog pack is like on the move around, you know, Trash Island. Right. Um, I really like that one. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important again to the the tone of the movie too. Yeah, for sure. The th- the themes, um, of the dogs and and. All the characters, you know? Usually mm-hmm. the important characters have themes, so... <laughs> right. But yeah. Alright. Um, the next the next song um, we want to discuss a little bit is actually from, you know, that sushi scene we mentioned earlier that we just we just love so, so much. Makes me want to go get some sushi. Oh, for real. <laughs> um, so here's a little clip of that song here. Thank you. 
so yeah there was that ellen do you have anything you want to say about that that song like the feel of that scene how it i don't know what you have to say i thought it was very kind of um very kind of harsh in a way yeah but i felt like that was needed because they were putting together the sushi like chopping everything up mm-hmm. and um, and then they were putting poison on the sushi, yeah. so yeah. So like, I guess maybe not harsh, but very like methodical feeling. Yeah, it fits that that what's happening with the scene, which is you know perfect, perfect mm-hmm. for a soundtrack to do. And, and <laughs> that's the goal. I mean, right? that's the main purpose. I mean, come on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really enjoy that sushi scene, and the music just makes it you know complete in my eyes. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a all the most of the soundtrack really has like a, a deep drumming tone and and beat and sound to it, and I think that just adds to kind of the intensity of what's happening on the screen. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, um, one more song for you guys, Ellen. Do you want to reveal it or? Sure. Yeah. So the last song that we want to talk about this showed up a couple times during the movie. It's called. Mm-hmm. I Won't Hurt You by the West Coast Pop Art Experiment. So we will play that here. I've lost all of my pride. I've been to paradise and out the other side. With no one to guide me. Torn apart by a fiery wheel inside me. So um, I think this kind of speaks to a big theme mm. in the actual movie too about that deep friendship mm-hmm. and building trust and stuff like that. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it's a very kind of warm-hearted song. It's it sounds like a an, an adventure song, mm-hmm. but also ha- yeah, like you said, the the theme of friendship and, and the importance of friendship and developing deep connections with people, animals, you know, everyone. Um, it really captures that that growing friendship between Atari and um, Chief, which I think it was perfect. So, but yeah, these these kinds of songs like this, um, I won't hurt you, come up a lot in Wes Anderson's. It's like his kind of sound. I think that he prefers. But yeah, I think it's super cool. Yeah, I think it's just amazing how how um, composers they have to really like really understand what the writer and the director is trying to get at with Mm -hmm. it and like be able to make that into like the musical form of the themes and that's just so impressive to me yeah i think it's definitely a huge job you have to have a specific skill set musically and kind of you know emotionally to to have that job to connect to the movie the characters the director's vision it's a really important job in, in film and TV and all that. So props to all those composers out there for scores. Yeah, it's a big Friends. shout out. All so, right. Yeah. So now that we've gone through all the categories, yeah. Olivia, what are your final thoughts? Um, my final thoughts are go watch this movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's 
a really, really beautiful piece of art. Not only is it stop-motion animation, so it's not your typical live action, but it's a really heartwarming and intense, te intensely deep, you know, emotional journey of this little boy, these animals, and kind of a deeper meaning of what's going on in society now, what's been going on in societies for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it covers all the bases for entertainment, deep intellectual thoughts. The music's great. It'll have you, you know, dancing around. It'll have you tapping your feet. Characters are fantastic. You know, gotta love all these, one, comedic men and women. And their skills are just admir admirable. And Wes Anderson is pretty is a pretty fun director to watch. I mean, so I recommend it. What do you What do you have, L? You know, I don't have too much to add. I really <laughs> didn't have any complaints. If you aren't watching this because you're super into um, animated movies or something, at least watch it because. Wow, how much time did all these people spend on it? Give yeah. them some props for that. For real. Yeah. And you'll watch these, like, Wes Anderson films and you think about the attention to detail. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, wow. Crazy. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad you took a chance with me. I mean, you said you wanted to uh, to watch it, so I'm glad I chose it this week. Since you gave yes. me a little Goodfellas, I gave you a little Isle of Dogs this week. So um, yeah, good choice. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. So um, thanks for listening. That was uh, Isle of Dogs, directed by Wes Anderson from the year 2018. Um, please follow our Instagram. Interact with us. You know, don't be shy. You don't have to be shy. We love you all. Even if, you know, if you want to correct us on anything, that's fine, too. If you want to add anything to anything we said, that's fine. If you want to participate in any way, let us know. We're, we're pretty chill people. <laughs> um, We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, share the podcast. Even if it's criticism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, everyone can improve in every way, but... um. <laughs> Yeah, share the podcast with your friends. That's our that's our goal for you, listeners, this this episode. Share it with one friend and, and maybe share some of your favorite movies with them as well because like me and Ellen here, we love watching the movies together and kind of just talking about it even when we're not talking on the podcast. Yeah. I really enjoy our conversations about movies and TV and, you know, cinema and the world of cinema just brings everyone together in many different ways so get out no, there true. yeah share that share that love of cinema with all, everyone you know because mm -hmm. i know anyone. you'll find people like you <laughs> yes and anyone can be a cinephile anyone. take it from us i i have no expertise olivia has expertise <laughs> we both love movies and yeah. we can talk about it yeah anyone well, cinephile literally just means love of cinema. So if you exactly. love movies, if you love, you know, any type of movie, you know, then then you fit into our podcast niche and uh, our group. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something today. Hope you go check out Wes Anderson. All right, Ellen, take it away. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. 
through butter, sweat, and tears. We'll see you next time. See you, folks.